Uh, welcome to all of you, especially to our visitors. Uh, it's, it's nice. Uh, it's great having you with us. And uh, it's also a privilege to have uh, uh, Brother Chuck with us. Uh, many of you are, some of you are not acquainted with Brother Chuck. Um, Brother Chuck has been one of those who has been very influential in my life. Uh, for some 10 years, uh, Chuck, uh, in the years past, drove from Chicago some three and a half hours one way to be a part of our fellowship each weekend. And uh, Chuck is one of those uh, individuals who I kind of gravitated towards. I recognized an integrity uh, as he handled scripture. And uh, he was one of those individuals who numerous times exhorted me to, to be diligent with scripture because said one day you're going to be preaching the gospel. And uh, kind of took me aback. Uh, I don't want to shrink back from that, but uh, how, how wise those words were. And today, uh, because of Chuck, uh, because of his influence, I, uh, the, the teaching I do is expositional. Uh, I just see that that is one of the ways that you really build up a church. It's been um, just something that I've done. And uh, it's not always been easy, but uh, has... Uh, it's been effective. I, I really think it's one of the, thing, the positive things that we can do for a church. So I'm blessed to have Chuck with us. Uh, um, my hat is off to you. Chuck was also one of those individuals I went through a real tough time in life. I went through a bad business deal. And uh, remember just being really disillusioned in life. And uh, one afternoon he put his arms around me and, and tears in my eyes. He said, Keith, you're going to get through it. And he was one of those individuals who encouraged me in one of those dark moments in life. And uh, not to give up, but to, but to get through it. And uh, he uh, has been there for me. Well, I want to welcome all of you back to uh, our study of, of Romans. And uh, reminded me up of, of my growing up years. Uh, my years ago, we... As a family, we, we cut a lot of wood uh, to keep our family home warm. And uh, it was quite a bit colder in the wintertime. As often, it would be sub-zero. And so often, as Dad would be driving the tractor, we'd sit on the wagon, but we'd turn our backs to the front to kind of shield us from the wind. Instead of looking where we were going, we'd look at where we've been. And uh, in the course of a study... It's at times good to pause and reflect where we've been in Scripture. Since June of 2010, when we began this journey, the past three years, for some 30 Sunday mornings, we have opened our Bibles to the book of Romans. And uh, the scene we, we, we've been privileged to enjoy has been amazing as we've toured not only through the history of the Bible, but through the human nature. In the first 17 verses of chapter 1, the prologue, God reveals or he takes the cover off his own righteousness. And if there's only one thing that you get about this study, I want you to get that. Write it in your Bible. Romans, God uncovers his righteousness to man. But not while Paul, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
He's been theologically exact. He's crossing every I, or he's crossing every T, dotting every I. Paul opens his heart as well. Paul allows, we see his, his heart, his emotions, bleeding onto the pages of Scripture. In chapter 1, as God reveals his righteousness, he says, you know, it seems like man is in no position to, to receive the righteousness of God. And that mood is one of darkness and hopelessness. And uh, we watch man in his walk away from God. Man, that fallen human nature, always gra- if man is left to himself, he always gravitates away from God. Man is lost, he's floundering. In chapter 2, we see the sarcasm of Paul as he confronts the self-righteous, the one who compares himself with another and thinks that he can escape the judgment of God. In chapter 3, Paul angrily takes those to task who are, who are twisting his teaching, saying, let us do evil so the good may come. And he tells us their damnation is just. And he concludes in chapter 3, All are under sin, there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And at the end of chapter 3 and and the beginning of chapter 4, Paul pulls back the cover on God's righteousness. Paul zeroes in on the effectiveness and the finished work of Christ, how that Christ became sin for us, paying for sin once and for all. But not only that, not only did God settle the account for us, he also settled something for himself. You see, in the times past, God winked at sin. And through the, through, by placing the sin upon Christ and judging sin once and for all, God proved to everyone that he is absolutely just and righteous. Now, in chapter 4, Paul turns to Abraham as an illustration Proving that Abraham standing before God was one of grace and through faith. And that Abraham, this standing that Abraham had was not deserved or earned. And that it was a sovereign act of grace upon the part of God that God reckoned, credited, and imputed his own righteousness to Abraham's account while he was still ungodly. Now, we know God doesn't accept sin, so how, did he t- how, how was God able to do that? Well, at the end of the chapter, God tells us. You see, God separated sin from man, placed, took our sin, placed it on Christ, and he judged our sin. The resurrection is therefore our receipt, our proof of purchase, our absolute guarantee that our sins past, present, Yes, even future are fully and completely paid in full. God the Father satisfied. If it were not true of future sins, we'd have a great case to encourage Christians to wait to receive Christ until their deathbed. Now the question that remains, that eternal question, is does it work? After all, none of us were there. Not one of us. It took place thousands of years ago. Does it work? So glad that God answers that question in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we hope we have peace with God? No. Or someday after we die, we might discover peace with God? It doesn't say that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we 
have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely, with confidence and assurance, Paul says we have peace with God. Now, in, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul begins to show us how God shapes and molds the child of God in the process that is called sanctification. In chapter 6, he passionately refutes that grace is just another avenue to sin. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And Paul answers that question. In chapter 7, we watch as Paul depressingly wrestles with his own sin nature, one that we equally have as well. Then in verse 25, Paul bursts into thanksgiving as he turns his focus back to Christ. Then in chapter 8, in the light of God's marvelous work for us and in us, he considers a question. He says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's kind of like a 4th of July fireworks display. And uh, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You guys remember that, how a grand finale is at a, at a fireworks release? Boom, 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 and you just feel it in your chest? That's what Paul is doing, just boom, boom, boom. This is how it works. It's, just, it's amazing, and you're just in awe of everything, and you just kind of think that the natural progression of this would be Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, since these things are true, abandon yourselves to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That seems to be the, the reasonable succession, but chapter 12 doesn't come after chapter 8. Chapter 9 does. In chapter 9, Paul says, I say in truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience all bearing with me, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. We're rejoicing. And we, we look at Paul. Paul is weeping. He's got tears in his eyes. It almost seems like many of you have been on a journey and, and uh, you've, you've taken all, before you knew it, you had taken the wrong exit and you were going down the wrong road. It's kind of what it seems like. seems like, man, we must have the wrong exit here. Why, why are we rejoicing and Paul is weeping? Well, you see, as Paul is contemplating the marvelous work of God in us, through us, and what is going to get accomplished? He thinks about those, his brethren, according to the flesh. He thinks about the Jew. He thinks how few Jews are part of the family of God. And he begins to weep. You see, the reason we don't think about Jews is because we're not Jewish. And... Uh, that's not true of Paul. 
You see, uh, Paul realized that the vast majority of his brethren are not in the family of God. But didn't we learn in chapter 1 that the gospel was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile? Yeah, we did. And uh, didn't we learn from Paul that the Jew had all kinds of advantages when it came to the gospel? Yeah, yeah we sure did. And isn't the Old Testament filled with promises for the Jew? Yeah. Well, there are two possible false assumptions that could be made. Either the gospel which Paul preached to the Romans is false, or God is not faithful. Both of these false assumptions are false. In fact, there's a third assumption, a false assumption that we've heard already, and that is the church is now Israel. All of those assumptions are false. They're not true. So with tears in his eyes, Paul turns in chapter 9 and begins to tell us God's plan for the Jew. And he shows us that God's plan is absolutely consistent with his character. In Romans 9, we see the we see there's three great doctrines as we look at this survey there's three great doctrines we're going to see in Romans 9 we see we see the sovereignty of God in Romans 10 we see the justice of God and in Romans 11 we see the faithfulness of God but along with those three doctrines there are three perspectives we see as well in Romans 9, we're going to get God's perspective. It's almost as like we were in the throne room with God looking over his shoulders, and we see his perspective, how God sees it. In Romans 10, we come back down to the earth, and we look from, up, from down here back up. We see the justice of God. And in Romans 11, the two are brought together, in perfect harmony, and they're blended together. I'm, I'm, in uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that, that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Look at all those things that as a special people of God that God placed into their lap. Who are the fathers, whose are the fathers and of whom are concerning the flesh Christ came who is overall God blessed forever, amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of, which are of Israel. Paul is simply saying, not every Jew is really a Jew. Now in chapter 2, we learn from Paul that the real Jew is the one who is circumcised of the heart. Not outwardly, but inwardly. 
As I thought about that verse, I thought about one of those great spiritual moments in our history as a church. Our congregation was quite small, and uh, there was quite a few of us with the last name of Yoder. And uh, I'm not sure what the context was, but one in our midst says, well, we can't all be Yoders. And as I recall, I think it was with a touch of sadness. <laughs> and, uh, but that's precisely the principle that God is using. Just because you're born doesn't mean you're a Yoder. Just because they are born with a lineage to Abraham doesn't make them a Jew. Verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why dost thou yet find fault? Who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall a thing formed say to him that is formed, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay and the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? You see, doesn't, have the, doesn't the potter have the right to make a vessel how he wants to and use it as he wants to? You see, we don't have a problem when God sticks to pots and pans. Our problem is when he goes to man. You see, and that's exactly what, what Paul does. He uses it to illustrate his plan, and he applies it to man. You know, there's a principle. It, well, let's look at verse 22. What if God, willing to show forth his, show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto, his, unto glory, even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You see, God had a plan, and that plan included the Gentiles. One of the principles I've discovered in life, that the closer we walk with God, the, the more we appreciate that God is in control. The farther we walk away from God, the less we appreciate God being in control, the more we want to be in control. And, uh, you know, and I just want to add to this. As we look at some of these truths, some of the truths that we're going to be seeing are going to stretch every one of us. Because there's some of these truths. God cannot be fully contained by the human mind. Um, 
In fact, in the latter part of uh, Romans 11, as Paul says, How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? You see, that's why the statement the unbeliever makes, Prove to me and I'll believe it. None of us live that long. None of us could contain and prove everything of God before we accept him. God cannot be fully contained by the human mind. And uh, some of these things we need to take by faith, they stretch us. They take us where I'm, I'm sure they will take all of us where we haven't gone before. But uh, they are nevertheless the truths. Look at verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. The Gentiles discovered the righteousness of God through faith, but Israel did not. Why not? It says because they sought it not by faith, but by the works of the law. You see, God's plan was that we would, un we would experience or we would receive his righteousness through faith. And uh, to the Jew who was clinging to his ethnicity and to his tradition and to his works, said, I don't want that. I'm coming by my works. And God says, wait a minute, that's not my plan. You're lost. You see, we begin to run into the justice of God. Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 1. My brethren, see how we're back down? My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of, for righteousness to everyone that believes, that believeth. So the question lingers, is God unjust? And the answer is no. You see, the Jew, because he sought it by works, did not find the righteousness of God. Did not receive it. Look at what verse 8 says in Romans chapter 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. And that is the word of faith which we preach. They had the word of God right at their fingertips. They had the gospel at their fingertips. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made into, unto salvation. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel was offered unto them, but they rejected it. 
So did God give up? No. He says, for hath God cast away his people? And there are some who would say that he has. Look at what Paul says. God forbid. He says in verse 2, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias? Verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that the blindness in part happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, God hasn't given up on Israel. God has not written off Israel at all. Um, verse in Deuteronomy ch chapter 4, there's a verse that... Uh, God says he's going to scatter the Jews. And in the latter days when there's tribulation and they call upon him, it says, and all these things shall come upon thee even in the latter if thou wilt turn unto the Lord thy God I sh and shall be obedient to his voice. For the Lord is a merciful God and he will not forsake thee nor destroy thee nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swore unto them. God is going to again turn unto the Jews, not because they've earned it or deserved it, but because he made a covenant to the fathers. You see that covenant he made with Abraham? There's something you need to understand about that. When in that sacrifice, the way I understand it, they would, they, if it was often between two parties, they would, they would split the sacrifice and they would walk in the center of those two sacrifices. But in the case of Abraham, only God walked through the, through the center. Abraham did not. Therefore, making the promise to the, the, that he gave to Abraham an unconditional promise, which he, God, would fulfill. It wasn't conditional upon Abraham. But seeing from, uh, but, but God, a part of the plan was that there would be a blindness in part so that God would turn to the Gentiles. And praise God that it happened. I mean, we, there isn't one of us who enjoys to see the blindness, but thank, thank goodness that, that the gospel was presented to us. For without that happening, uh, it, we'd be lost. The Jews considered the Gentiles fuel for the fires of hell. Verse 30 of Romans chapter 11. For you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through, through their unbelief. We found mercy from God. There's two thoughts I want to share with you. First of all, never stop sharing the gospel. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. I put it beautifully. He said, if God had painted stripes up the back of the elect, I would spend my day walking up down London lifting shirt tails. But he didn't. 
So I preach, whosoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Our mission is to continuously preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep sharing it. On a Not many of us are Billy Grahams. Uh, I, I was at, uh, one time I watched uh, uh, Billy Graham uh, preach, and uh, I was amazed at the, the simplicity. It wasn't a very good message. I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard better messages uh, from others in this church. But I was amazed at hundreds of people responded to the altar call. Not many of us are Billy Grahams. The vast majority of people who are one to Christ are not won by Billy Graham. Most are one, but just one-on-one rubbing shoulders with those who are salt and light. Just you sharing Jesus with someone else. And there's times that we, we get so taken up with being perfect in our doctrine, we forget we've got a, an amazing message for the lost, and it works. Here's a second, second thought. The past never needs to determine the future. Israel's a great, great uh, illustration for that. Consider Israel blinded, Stubborn, rejected the Messiah, and yet God, in his faithfulness, will turn back to the J- Israel, and there will be a remnant that will be saved. God is faithful. Our past, you know, there's, not, there's none of us that w- wouldn't love to go back t- to some parts of our life and, and erase Rewind and erase some of the, the poor choices that we've made. This past Wednesday evening, I shared with uh, those who were here uh, a couple we had we come to know that at least one uh, at least a property that we had, and uh, they really had a turbulent relationship. We didn't have a lot of interaction, and. Uh, but uh, through a friend, I became aware that they were buying things that could easily be used in the, in the production of methamphetamine. And um, consequently, they had gotten the attention of law enforcement. So one night as I stopped by to fix the range, uh, I decided I wasn't going to confront them. Uh, wasn't comfortable because I really didn't have a great relationship with them. It seemed like we had a relationship where we did a lot of giving and they t- did a lot of taking. And, uh, but uh, I told them. I said, I, I, I'm not sure what you guys are into, um, but uh, you've, got the d- you've got the attention of law enforcement. And uh, sooner or later, 
with the direction you're going, you're going to get busted. It's going to happen. And uh, I really don't want to see you guys throw your lives away. And I even opened my life up, some of the things of my past, to show them that I wasn't being self-righteous about it. And it seemed like they were kind of freaked out, um, <laughs> I suppose. But my wife and I left, and we, the time that they continued to live there, it didn't, we didn't think there was much of a difference. And uh, some five months ago, they moved out of our, our property. And uh, this past Tuesday, I got a text, a lengthy text from her. And it was expressing her appreciation for how gracious we were with them. How we were there for them. And then she added, thank you for sharing the info you wouldn't have needed to. It was a real eye-opener for my husband. And it turned our lives around. Guess it was our turn to be freaked out. You see, sometimes we don't know what the difference we can make in other people's lives with just a little faith, a little time, and a little love. The change we can make. And then the fact remains, when it is all finished in verse 36, Paul says, For of him... Through him and to him all things, to, to whom be glory forever. Amen. When it's all said and done, Jesus gets the glory. Because it was his life, his power, his grace. So it all belongs to him. Let's pray. Fathers, we just bow before you this morning. We are grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, as we, we consider the nation of Israel. Lord, we see in, in their humanity, our own humanity, how easy it is to turn away, to be stubborn, to be selfish, to be unbelieving. And yet, Lord, we, we recognize that you really are a shepherd constantly looking for lost sheep, searching, drawing those to you. Lord, we're grateful for that kind of faithfulness, that kind of grace. Lord, we recognize this morning that we, sitting here, there isn't one of us who's deserved to be in the kingdom of God. None of us deserve grace. Cannot be, cannot be earned, cannot be deserved. And Lord, we recognize it. It can't be repaid. But thank you for that kind of faithfulness. Lord, we're also grateful for the scriptures. Lord, we, there's a lot of things that people go by these days. But we recognize in the scriptures that it's been a kind of compass that has been solid and has continually shown the travelers the way home for thousands of years, continues to do its job. So, Lord, we're, 
we're grateful for the solidness of Scripture, that we can trust it, that it is true. Lord, thank you for your Spirit continues to reveal to us your Scripture. Helps us to understand the truth, the deeper truths of God. Thank you for your Spirit that leads us and guides us into these truths. Lord, thank you also for your Spirit help giving us the power and the desire to be obedient until we all get home. For you deserve the glory, Father, we recognize that. You deserve the glory and the honor. We, we ask it in Jesus' name. All of God's children said, Amen.